Hello, I'm Nick, and Tori is my co-host, and this is I Want to Rewatch, an X-Files adjacent podcast, and today we'll be discussing the Insurgent episode, UFOs. <gasps> UFOs? UFOs. Nice. Narration of this episode is by Robert L. Long, and it is produced by Deborah Bloom. The episode is directed by H.G. Stark, who's just rocking it in these episodes. He's like, got this is like his third in a row. It's edited by Fabian Torgman, with assistance by Jack Dunsmore and John Schwartz, hosted by Leonard Nimoy, and originally aired on Wednesday, July 13th, 1977. Which nice. means my birthday was on a Sunday that year. Hmm. Yeah. That reminds me, I still need to send you your birthday present. <laughs> mm. The box has become part of my, you know, when something just sits around long enough, you just stop noticing it. <laughs> so it's just faded. See, you should have kept your mouth shut and it could have been my Christmas present. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, by the time I get it sent, I don't know. I might have to, I might have to just add some stuff in. And it can... <laughs> anyway, if worst. you can tell, we're recording on the same day as the last two episodes. It's crazy time. <laughs> Yeah, at Black Cat and Orange Cat Studios, Orange Cat Tuxedo. <laughs> I can't remember what the fucking name of the studio is that you have. Anyway, because you got two cats and they're not both black like mine. I made it easy. You got to have different cats and made it confusing. So <laughs> Orange That's Tuxedo. Orange, Orange Tuxedo Studios. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of us are drinking. I have to say. Um, <laughs> I need to make. Yeah, I don't even drink anymore. It's been like six I mean, or you seven guys heard years. My bitter, bitter comments about how I didn't get alcohol last episode. So yeah, and we're off. Have we haven't new... even started this episode yet. Barely. We haven't <laughs> even got to the Leonard Nimoy's narration, and we're already off the rails. <laughs> we're already off the so. rails. I did get a COVID booster this morning. I'm going to blame it on that. My arm is now just starting to hurt a little. So <laughs> I might just be oxygen deprived. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, again, we talked about in the last episode. There's a lot of smoke in the air. Things are just chaotic. So today is just a weird, weird day. I may be one episode away from having a OBE. Who knows? <laughs> well, we will find out. Well, maybe. Anyway, narration. They've been reported at dusk or in the dead of night. In clearings, amid still woods and fields and lonely farm country. Sometimes they come in silence. Sometimes with quiet thunder. Often they leave marks in the earth. Signals of their passing. They've been seen but fleetingly. And their extraordinary presence creates a frightening mystery. In fields from West Virginia through Wisconsin to Oregon are the beginnings of answers. And then we get the opening credits. Do the music. Do the music. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know. I can't do the music very well. well. It's closer than you've ever gotten. So that's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Absorbing the, the music into my soul so I can get it correct. I should practice that or something. I don't know. Do actual work for this podcast at some point. We'll see. And then we come back and Nimoy continues. A dark patch of ground of a football field. Normal people saw the object that made it. It begins tonight. Search for answers. And then we get in search of UFOs. I thought they had to put the qualifier on there. Normal people saw the. <laughs> well, yeah. You gotta be careful with people who see UFOs these days. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this one actually gets there in conjecture. So apparently, In Search of is not breaking 
news in this episode. No. So, yeah. Although, I do have to say, so last time, no theory and conjecture, only truth. Now, UFOs. So let's go through our little tick list of what Insurgium is supposed to be doing, right? Extraterrestrials. I would say that UFOs coupled with Martians and a call from space is a big old yup. Mm-hmm. Boom. Extraterrestrials. Magic and witchcraft. Mm, not really. I don't think we've had any magic and witchcraft episodes. So okay. Not yet. No. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Sad face. Missing persons. Yep, we got the series poster child even, Amelia Earhart, right? Because we get the little images in the beginning. Amelia Earhart is one of the images we see. Mm-hmm. Did that for sure. Myths and monsters. Again, poster child, Loch Ness Monster, last episode. Boom, done. Lost civilizations. Poster child, Trey, with the Easter Island Massacre, because we had the Moai in that. Special phenomena. I mean, we did talking to plants. We did psychic detectives. We did learning the SP. We did life after death. I mean, there are no crystal skulls, but I think we're still looking at a yep. So I am wondering, this is episode 21. We have 22, 23, and 24 coming this season. Does that mean we're going to hit magic and witchcraft in the next few episodes? Uh, Maybe. I hope so. I would hope so. I would hope so. That'd be kind of sad if it wasn't no magic or witchcraft. Anyway, maybe we'll find out. But mm. let's focus on this episode. So, yeah. Kenneth Arnold. June 24th, 1947, flying around Mount Rainier in Washington, saw some flying saucers. Tori's going to talk more about that at the end of the episode. We got other things to talk about besides Kenneth Arnold. Fuck him. A flurry (laughs) of sightings followed and have continued to this day in Mellon, Wisconsin. Quiet town, quiet people. Did a little research on Mellon, Wisconsin. Has an area of 1.86 square miles. Hmm. Pretty small. Because, like, if you think, like, a one by one would be one square mile. A two by two would be four square miles. So 1.86, kind of small. Population in 1970, 1,168. Population 1980, 1,046. So we're probably looking at about 1,100 people in 1977, 1976. Uh, 1990, 935 people. In 2000, 845 people. In 2010, 731 people. So kind of going down. Yeah. They don't have the 2020 numbers, but the 2019 estimate, I think, was 645. Huh. Interesting. Was it 685? I forget. I didn't put it because it was an estimate. So, but yeah, definitely a decreasing population, but but small, right? Small. Yeah. Very, very small. Small area, small amount of town. Apparently only had one road, as we'll learn. Anyway, March 13th, 1975, the Baker family, which consists of Father Philip, Mother Shirley, Monty, Jeff, Jane, and John, they all saw a UFO. So, oh, that's pretty cool. I'd love to hear more about that. Jane Baker, the daughter, is telling us the story. She's actually walking and she's oh, telling the story. Yes. And she says she was carrying two cats and she was walking to the garage. She's only carrying one cat as she tells the story. But anyway, mm-hmm. she saw a weird object with funny noises and bright lights. She didn't know what to do. She kind of like was kind of like almost like she was kind of like freaking out a little bit with kind of going back and forth finally she said she threw the cat in the garage we assume she put both cats in the garage probably just confusion because she's only got one cat right now and she's telling the mm-hmm. story we don't know anyway philip baker the father he says he walked closer to the object well first he went in and got his coat and then he walked closer to the object and mm-hmm. he says that on the sides of the road there was snow because it was winter time and it's in you know Wisconsin. And he says, based on the size of the snowbanks, he estimates the craft was about 12 feet in diameter 
and it also left marks in the snow. And then he estimated at the height at the center of the craft, it was probably six feet tall. So okay. He says he told his two boys, and we're not sure which two because there's actually three of them. We'll find out more later, but for right now, we're not sure who. And his daughter, that he was going to go up to it. So Jane ran into the house to tell her mother that her dad was going to go up to the object. And then Jane tells us she came out and she yelled at him. So that was kind of funny. Yeah, sure. The wife just comes out and is like, "Uh uh-uh, do not go near that thing. What are you doing? And apparently he listened to her because then we found him saying like, yeah, she came out and told me that maybe I shouldn't do that. So it's like he probably (laughs) agreed. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually so we funny. do find out that Montgomery was watching from the upstairs window. So Monty was in the house. So that means Jeff and John and Jane were all outside. So all the J's were outside with <laughs> father. And then Monty was in the house. So Jane says they all went back in the house and they called the deputy sheriff. And apparently at the same time the sheriff answered, there was a boom and the object was gone. <gasps> yeah. And then oldest brother, Monty, who kind of sounds like a dick, he made Jane cry because he told all his younger siblings that they should not say anything to their friends at school. And so Jane was like, I know what I saw. I'm not crazy. So she was really upset. Yeah. And the whole time she's being interviewed, she's holding this cat that clearly, like, at one point decides it does not want to be held. And she keeps holding it. And I'm like, that yeah. is me with my cat. Yeah, he starts meowing. There, my cat's like. Well, we don't know if it's a he or a she. But no, the but the cat, meowing. like, yeah. tries to pull out of her grasp. My cat does it all the time. I'm like, no, I'm holding him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also when she says she threw them in the garage i know she doesn't mean like throw literally no i think she like, like yeah well it's like she opened the door and like Boo, get yeah there. put them in the UFO. garage you're in the garage yeah, yeah get away from the aliens we don't need you yeah. getting abducted no that's probably their people coming to get them but anyway i know maybe so, yeah then we meet jasper landry who's the editor of melon's newspaper the weekly record and he knows just about everyone in town by first name he's known philip baker for 30 years and when the ufo incident happened Philip was like, hey, man, don't put that in the paper. My family is like really anxious and they're getting people apparently have already heard about it a little bit. And they're mm-hmm. getting you know stuff, all that kind of stuff. So Jasper honored the wish, but the story Yay. got around anyway. Small towns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then we meet under sheriff of Ashland County, George Reed. So I guess, you know, Jane was like they call the deputy sheriff, but apparently he's the under sheriff. We're going to use official titles. So he tells his side of the story. After an investigation of the site, he firmly believes that the Bakers did see an object because after he left, in addition to his investigation, he received a second call regarding strange lights in the sky. And that night, more calls followed and Re and seven deputies from two counties raced through country roads chasing lights all night. To this day, no one has explained what Re and the other deputies saw in the sky. <gasps> Mm-hmm. Yep. So that would mean it's an unidentified flying object. Yeah. So UFO on yeah. point. Good job. Yeah. Yep. Work. Then we're at Big Chimney, West Virginia, which is not a big chimney. It's actually the name of an unincorporated area, which has an area of 2.059 square miles and a population of 627 in 2010. Unfortunately, mm. I could not get historical population for big chimney west virginia june 12 1975 9 30 p.m driving north on route 119 carol critchfield and his wife saw a diamond-shaped craft with bright lights and they followed it to where they think it set down mm-hmm. he climbed the hill and found what he thinks was landing gear marks on the ground we see him taking a lie detector that was performed by the investigation team led by 
Ian Criswell of the Criswell Security Agency in Wheeling, West Virginia. There's like one other guy with him, so I guess their team is two people. That other guy's doing the test, and Criswell just kind of watches. So I was really hoping we we're going to see Cleve Baxter. Like he was oh, yeah, pop yeah, up. yeah. That would have been amazing, but you know, I think he was too busy making yogurt talk at this point. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> Now, we we do learn that this test cannot prove that Carol Kitchfield saw a UFO. It can only prove his truthfulness about whether he believes he saw a UFO. And honestly, mm. can't prove that. You can listen no. to our first episode where we were just talking about Cleve Baxter. Or you can listen to our episode on the film Fire in the Sky. Yeah. Which if you listen to the last episode where I talked about how not all our stuff is in this feed, that's one of them. You have to go to Patreon to listen to that one. Sorry. Yeah. Basically, lie detector tests are useless pseudoscience and they don't really prove anything except how well people relax when they answer questions. Yeah, they're kind or, of like an anxiety test almost is what they really are. Yeah, I would fail yeah. the heck out of one. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's the opinion of the Criswell Security Agency that Mr. Critchfield, quote, has told the complete truth about all statements concerning the object he cited on June 12th, 1975. Hmm. Okay, then. Yeah. And then we hear that some men like Ted Phillips are dedicated to finding answers for the growing number of people who have had UFO experiences. And Ted dressed up. Yeah, he did. Wow, he dressed up. Yes. He looked nice. Yeah. You say nice, I say like a clown. But anyway... (laughs) dressed up it's the 70s he looked kind of 70s you know it was nice for the 70s it's a clown for now yeah (laughs) he and his fellow ufo investigators have amassed reports on over sixty thousand ufo sightings since 1947 which the show actually says the past 30 years but that would be 1947 Mm -hmm. so many were easy to explain but more than 900 cases remain unexplained We find out that Phillips sends his soil samples to the University of Kansas Aerospace Science Laboratory, which is in Lawrence, Kansas. I looked that up for analysis. Dr. Edward Zeller is in charge and runs the sample from Medford, Minnesota. Mm. Zeller believes it would be unscientific to ignore UFO reports and that the techniques of scientific analysis can be used to find answers. Oh, okay, cool. Science. I'm done with that. The soil from Medford, Minnesota, provides the test sample, and a remarkable story from Janet Kay provides the background. On the night of November 2nd, 1975, she was doing her homework, when through the window she saw a UFO come out of the sky and land behind a blue building across the street. And behind that building is a football field. Mm-hmm. We're told there were two other witnesses, which we're going to find out is not true because apparently a lot of people saw this. But anyway, we're told there were two other witnesses, Janet's mother, Helen, and Janet's brother, Jerry. Helen says a lot of other people saw it. She can't even tell you how many people saw it up in the sky and told her about it the next day. So well, I guess three people saw it. Lots of people saw this thing. Mm-hmm. A couple of days later, everybody noticed that there was a spot of grass had been burned on the football field. <gasps> Helen is there, and she says the spot is directly in line with the blue building and then the window from where they saw the UFO land. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Well, that, that is conclusive proof. Yeah. Yes. I mean, come on. What more do you need? And that location is also where we saw Phillips getting the soil from that he sent to Zeller. Mm-hmm. So that's the ground. 
that is being tested. Zeller says the sample shows some strange luminescent properties. Thankfully, they use a Geyer counter to make sure that it's not radioactive. <laughs> so that's good. Glad they did that, you know, after yeah. they transported it and held it and everything. It's, yeah, it's yeah. good. By the way, Medford, Minnesota, area 1.19 square miles. Population in 1970, 690. Population in 1980, 775. 1990, 733. 2,984, so a nice little boom there. And then 2010, 1,239. Nice. kind of actually, they had a little dip in the 90s, but then they're moving up. It's like almost double the population it was in 1970. Yeah. Yeah. The burned dead spot is still visible six months after the event. So this must be like at least May of 1976 now when they're filming this. So Mm. Helen says it's been six months. You can still see the spot. So... The K's, Janet and Helen, would really like an explanation on our extremely charismatic, like on camera. They're just like, wow, these ladies are awesome. Actually, I kind of have a crush on Helen. She's kind of like a, <laughs> you know, yeah, she was probably yeah, like a young mother. That. And okay. uh, she's kind of, yeah, I would, mm-hmm, yeah. Jerry might be a weekend at Bernie's thing, though. He kind of just <laughs> stares blankly like a corpse. He also might have been adopted. I don't know. He doesn't look like any of them. Or maybe he got abducted and is traumatized. I don't know. Oh, but, maybe. yeah, he's kind of, yeah. Because he does say like he was driving when he saw it. So he wasn't in the house because in his reenactment, he was driving and they pulled up to the the fence that there was there's a gate there that was locked. So they couldn't go into the football field, but he got close to it. So maybe he got abducted and just saw like, oh, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. When they're talking at the table, he's just like a zombie. He's out of it. So Zeller says the test seemed to indicate the soil at the edge of the site was subjected to some kind of high energy radiation. But then he also seems kind of flummoxed because, like, they hold the camera on him for a while. And he's not saying anything. And he's kind of like, is this still on? And he looks <laughs> kind of like, uh, but I don't know how this could be possible because it's not radioactive. I don't know what's going on. So he doesn't say all that, but that's kind of the vibe you get from him. Yeah. And it turns he's out he's like a real him. scientist, too. So he's, like, not just a UFO guy. So Yeah. Yeah. Helen Kay says that if she was telling the story to herself, she wouldn't believe it. Because she doesn't believe in UFOs, and there's really no evidence beyond her story. All they have is her word. And then we're told that there is more than just Helen Kay's word. Actually, they say Mrs. Kay, but I'm going to say Helen Kay because she's, I don't know, I got kind of a crush on her. Anyway, and then we see the <laughs> spot on the ground. Yeah, so. so the spot is you know clear evidence of you. I mean, I'm sold. I believe everything now. That spot is enough for me. Yeah, I mean, it didn't exist at the time, but I would say Helen is a MILF. So, yeah, okay, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I mean, and, and Janet's not too bad either. Janet Janet reminds me of talking about the Quagmire episode last episode when we talked about Loch Ness Monster. I could see like in a TV movie of this event, Janet would be played by the woman who played the hippie in that episode and then played the sister in uh, which one was it? Wide Open. Uh, was it wide open? No, it I think it was open. Blood Relatives, wasn't it? Blood Relatives, yeah, yeah, the Millennium episode where she actually got to like act in that one. Uh-huh, so I yeah. could I could see Janet being played okay. by her. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I see that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. It's got that kind of vibe. They're both very charismatic, though. And like I said, Helen kind of attractive. <laughs> so. Yeah. And she's seen a UFO, so you guys could talk for hours about. UFO encounters. Mm-hmm. I got to be careful here because I'm married, so I can't be talking too much about that <laughs> stuff. But I, I could think about how I would handle that situation and kind of make my move, but that's not something I would do now because I'm married and happy. So. No, obviously. Yeah. And that's it. That's the episode. 
I mean, yeah. except for the ending narration. In a recent Gallup poll, 15 million Americans claim to have seen a UFO. 15 million. The same poll showed that 51% of the adult population is convinced that flying saucers are real. For those who haven't seen one, this is a recreation of what Carol Critchfield saw on a hilltop in Big Chimney, West Virginia. Yeah, and here's where we talked about last episode where they're showing a lot of images. I took screenshots of these and I'll give them to Tori and I guess she'll put them on Instagram and Twitter. Because, yep. again, I, if I put them in the show notes, they're not going to come through the RSS feed. Mm-hmm. So. The artist used the same technique that a police artist would use in creating the features of a suspect from the description of witnesses. And this is what Philip Baker saw on the town road in Mellon, Wisconsin. And obviously there's there's a rendering. And mm-hmm. then there's another rendering. And Helen Kay and her children saw this object land on a football field in Medford, Minnesota. The last systematic attempt by the U.S. government to investigate UFOs was conducted by the Air Force and was called Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book ended in 1968. The Air Force had by then investigated more than 11,000 UFO sightings and found explanations for all but 676. The Air Force seemed to have no interest in the sightings it could not readily attribute to earthly phenomena. Perhaps it's time to approach the question of UFOs again, without bias. Oh! (laughs) This is kind of a seething take here. For we can only hope that if we are being studied by aliens, it is with more thoroughness and care than we have focused on them. Damn, dude, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy and Robert L. Long like throwing down some heat. Man, I know that was that was some intense <laughs> like hot takes right there. Dang. We gotta pay attention to UFOs because they might be studying us and we're not even trying. Come yeah. on, guys. Damn, and that's it. Closing credits. Ba-boom. Recent news from Mellon, Wisconsin, by the way. This is actually the main part of their Wikipedia page. According to the Mellon Weekly Record, Volume 123, Number 29, Wednesday, July 20th, 2022, Mayor Joseph A. Barabe resigned effective at noon on July 15th, 2022. No further explanation was given. And then they go on to talk about how, like, town's thinking about maybe having a different system than having a mayor and just go on talking about and that's like the whole wikipedia page it's hilarious but huh. yeah, yeah. someone was really like oh i'm putting this on the internet <laughs> so yeah and then the image that is shown when they talk about what the baker family saw is also the image that is shown in the elevator pitch that ends like in last episode. We have the little elevator pitch mm-hmm. about traveling the globe and kind of stuff. I think when it very first appeared, I attributed it that I thought it maybe it was an image related to Betty and Barney Hill's UFO incident when mm. we first saw it. So obviously it's not. If I had said that, I actually don't remember. I would need to go back and listen to the episode. It looks like the Legion of Doom headquarters from the old Super Friends cartoon. Mm -hmm. Um, I would buy a print of it. It's pretty cool looking. Nice. Yeah. And then the Critchfield's craft, you could think that the Critchfield's craft, the image that they use for that, could have been like, if you saw that like in an X-Files production booklet, like a production sketches they did, you would not 
think that it did not belong there. It would really fit in X Files. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and then the photo of what the ones with the K saw is pretty cool looking. It's kind of got a fire in the sky vibe a little bit, although in the movie it's more it's more organic looking. This one, because the way it's colored, it kind of looks like a fire breathing life raft. Um, very yeah okay but i would still put on the wall it's pretty cool looking whoever did these if it's the same person did all of them they did a pretty good job yeah they're pretty neat yeah unmentioned in the episode jay allen hynek arrived with a team to investigate the medford sighting nice ted phillips who we meet in his fancy i'm on tv clothes was actually part of that team which may also explain why the university of kansas aerospace science lab is giving him the time of day because the testing is actually being done for Jay Allen Hynek and not for Ted Phillips. Gotcha. So, yeah. We talked a little bit about Hynek in Jose Chunks Matter Space, X-Files Season 3, Episode 20. Roswell! Roswell! <laughs> but we also did definitely talk about him in our Close Encounters of the Third Kind episode because he had a cameo in it. And he's also the one who developed the system from which the movie takes its name. Mm-hmm. And then he was also the scientific advisor for the three major UFO studies undertaken by the U.S. Air Force. Project Sign from 1947 to 1949. Project Grudge from 1949 to 1951. And Project Blue Book from 1952 to 1969. This one says 69. In search, says 68. 68 sounds right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wikipedia says 1969. So I do not know. Okay. Maybe I just realized that was different. I did not realize that until just now. So I did not have time to go check on that. So, well, I'm like super into words. And so when I heard that Kenneth Arnold had been the one who coined the term flying saucer, which I may have heard of in the past, it's one of those things that I probably read about as a kid in a UFO book and then just kind of forgot. Um, I was like, oh man, I got to look up more about this. Plus, it takes place in Rainier, like on Mount Rainier, which, you know, is Washington. So close to my heart. I lived in Washington for 20 years. So, I mean, he was basically flying from Idaho to some like air show in Oregon or something. I don't remember exactly, but he was like on his way to Oregon and he was taking time around Mount Rainier because apparently a plane had crashed and there was a reward for anyone who could find the wreckage. And so he was kind of flying around seeing if he could see the wreckage. Anyway, I just wanted to say a little more about his sighting because I thought it was really interesting that he actually contends that he did not actually describe the objects like discs or saucers. He saw nine objects, and when he mentioned discs or saucers, he was explaining how they moved, not what they looked like. He would say he was misquoted or taken out of context, and some argue that the entire idea of a flying saucer is based on a reporter's misunderstanding because what he was saying is like, it moved like a saucer skipping on water, not that the object looked like a saucer. Yeah, they say that in the episode, too, that it was described as a saucer being skipped over the surface of the water. Yeah, so, but he didn't describe it as, like, he didn't mean to say that it looked like Which a I never understood whenever I heard that, because who throws saucers? Like, you throw rocks. <laughs> yeah, you like flat rocks. Saucers? You, saucers? Yes, some people skip, I don't know. Maybe people Thor, have a lot of like you drink your coffee and then be like, ah, and like throw the saucer across the lake. What do you, I don't understand. Maybe. So, yeah. A 1970 study reviewing U.S. newspaper accounts of the Arnold signing actually concluded that the term must have been introduced by an editor or headline writer because the bodies of the early stories about the sightings don't actually mention flying saucers or flying discs. 
kind of similar to the whole little green men thing because yeah boards actually were they the, i can't remember the name of the family but it's the kelly hopkins event they actually said that they were gray but it got tr- mistranscribed in the stories as green and then now right. we always say little green men which is also weird though because we are our most popular aliens are the grays so i know <laughs> yeah goes back and forth he was later interviewed by edward r murrow and he basically repeated the contention he said these objects more or less fluttered like they were, oh, I'd say boats on very rough water or very rough air of some type. And when I described how they flew, I said they flew like they take a saucer and throw it across the water. Most of the newspapers misunderstood and misquoted that too. They said I said they were saucer-like. I said they flew in a saucer-like fashion, which again, <laughs> seems like a very pedantic distinction like i get what he's saying but like i can see why that confusion would immediately come up because if you're picturing a saucer skipping over the water you're going to picture objects that look like saucer anyway and murrow said that was a historic misquote well mr arnold's original explanation has been forgotten the term flying saucer has become a household word and it really has i mean now we talk about flying saucers all the time so it's kind of funny that this guy was like reaching for ways to explain how these weird things he saw in the sky moved and he came up with this analogy that got misinterpreted and turned into flying saucers and now that's just what we think of when we think of ufos did you when you were looking this up did you read anything about what they think he actually probably did see i didn't i just i read his description of how they were nine like lights and how he was a pretty reliable guy and he wasn't trying to say they were anything weird he was just trying to like explain what he saw and you know hope to get like an explanation but i didn't ever find anything that said oh it was probably this okay i kind of like this episode yeah it was entertaining it wasn't it wasn't one of the things we tend to complain about was in search of is they bring up a topic and you're like they are going to talk to this person or they are going to be talking about this thing and then they don't and we're like why Mm-hmm. I actually like the fact that in this one, these are stories I had never heard of. Yeah, they aren't like the typical because when I first saw that this was about UFOs, I was like, okay, we're just going to get like a rehashing of Benny and Barney Hill. We're going to mm-hmm. get some of the same like lights over, you know, whatever city that we're, you know, Phoenix or wherever. We're going to get maybe some Roswell action. And so I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't any of that stuff. I think Phoenix would be too late for this. but Yeah, yeah you're probably right. But, yeah. you know, you always hear like yeah. the same UFO stories over and over I don't again. Think, so. Did they even mention Roswell at all? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I don't think it ever came up. So, And then and then Kenneth Arnold was just in passing in the beginning to talk about the whole flying saucer thing. They don't even mm-hmm. really go into any depth about it. No, they don't. So, yeah. But I kind of like the fact. And also... I talked about this in the Life After Death episode, the people they talked to, I found kind of boring mm-hmm. or like, you know, weird. This one, the people were, I liked them. I mean, yeah. I mean, I kind of crushed on one of them, but also like, you know, Jane Baker, she was entertaining. It was yeah, with like her 12 kids. year old girl, just like, I don't, I, I think I'm saying 12. I don't remember how they said how old she was, but she's just like telling her story, just like matter of factly, like as a, person that old would like i was carrying my cats and did this and my mom came out and yelled at my dad and then just da 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 and i was like uh this is amazing yeah um, it was really good and the other thing in search of tends to do is they try and do like too much 
And I feel like this time they kind of edit it down. Like, here are these stories. We're going to tell you these short little bits and then that's it. Instead of like trying to jam a bunch of stuff in there. So I thought that was well done too. Yeah, I do. The one thing that I would maybe take point with was the whole Ted Phillips thing, because I don't think they wanted to bring Jay Allen Hynek into it. Okay. Because then at the end, they're going to disparage Project Blue Book. So, but Jay Allen Hynek was in charge of that, although uh. he kind of apparently changed his mind after that and all kind of stuff. That's why then he started doing investigations. Also, I think he was just interested in wanting to find the truth and was like, well, the stuff that we found here doesn't say anything, but I'm going to keep looking. Right. So, but then they talked to the one dude who was like part of it, but then it seems like he's the guy like doing it when he, I mean, he was, but it's not like he was in charge. So honestly, when I first saw him, I was writing my notes as I was watching the episode. When he showed up, I was like, because he is a grifter because he looks like a con artist. <laughs> he he's does dressed. Kind of, he does. But he's he does just like, I'm going to be look. on TV. So I'm wearing my, you know, Canadian tuxedo, what we would call it. Because he's got like, I don't know if it was denim or not, but it's like blue jacket and blue pants uh-huh. and got his shades on and his fancy shirt and just all <laughs> oh and like and like he's wearing his shades during one part of it when he's showing his like fancy equipment he's like and this is our i can't remember what he calls it but it's like some fancy name for something you stick in the ground to see how deep a depression is and just it was funny i was just like this dude <laughs> is yeah a con artist but no he's just he's just a young guy who was working as part of a team and I think was like, I'm going to be on TV. And yeah, like, I think he was excited about it. He was like, all right, I'm going to be on television. Some, I might get some action out of this. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to look good. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> hey, so. get it, guy. Get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, so. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I liked it. I liked this episode a lot. So, yeah, it, it was, was good. It was just kind of entertaining and fun. So yeah, it's definitely one of their better ones this season. I mean, I know we're only on season one, but I feel like yeah, some of well, them have been the really thing. entertaining. Some of them are it just seems like, oh. like it's better because of the things that we tend to complain about in the other episodes, which is weird. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it just depends on how it's done. Yeah, they also amazingly they got three stories in, just yeah, pretty good. So. Yeah, they Although, kept I mean, them the, concise. The, the, and, yeah. yeah, the big chimney one was kind of short. That one was. It was. Of, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think they spent more time talking about the lie detector than they did about the actual UFO in that one. And that was another one when the dude is going through and explaining the lie detector results. He's like, and as you can see, there was nothing here that would indicate. And the lines are like, like totally change direction and jump all around where he's saying, like, and there's no indication. And I'm like, I have eyes. I'm not stupid. Like there's definitely something. <laughs> well, I don't you, know what that means. You're just I don't know not what that a, means. Yeah. You're not a trained a light detector reader, dude. So you just don't understand the science, Nick. It's very complicated. I know. But to say there's no indication <laughs> of anything changing and then the line is totally going a different direction. I <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But to you saying that nothing is showing, I can see that something is different. So, but yeah. Not saying the dude was lying. I'm just saying it was much like when Cleve was explaining the results in that one and he's having to like adjust the explanations of how things are happening to make it fit the stuff. And you're like, I don't trust you at all, dude. So, <laughs> but yeah. Yep. Yay. Yay, UFOs. 
Also, not as off the rails on this episode as the last two. I think maybe we're worn down. <laughs> I know. I think maybe our, our energy's burning out. We're just hitting that. Also, point where we're like, okay. I did the summary on this one, and people are probably going to think I'm like on meth or something because I was just like, I'm just high energy today. Yeah, we we're both. It's I was Files Day. I woke up punchy. Let's you know that's just how it was, and then I got my shot, and you know I'm just in a it's mood. X Files Day. It is X Files Day. We're excited. We're an X Files podcast. We are. We're going to be high energy on X Files Day. Exactly. It's a very sacred day for us. So. Right. We didn't even get cake this time. <laughs> oh, shit, that's, right, that's right. That's right. It's our anniversary too. Well, yeah. like we said, it, it wasn't. None of this was planned. Yeah. Our coming back and putting out an episode on X Files Day. People are probably listening to the Amelia Earhart episode. So. <laughs> yeah. Which I do have a correction for that. I made a mistake when I was talking about the dude with the creepy eyebrows. I said that he was wearing a white straw hat because the other people in the in the scenes were wearing straw hats. He was actually wearing a white fedora. Not oh. A white so if you're watching it and being like, I see a creepy guy, but he's not wearing a white straw hat. What is Nick talking about? He's wearing a white fedora. I was just going for memory at the point. So I did later show Tori a photo and she agreed that he was very creepy. So, and also my wife did too. Yeah, so. he's this creepy guy. It's kind of, I, yeah. I didn't even notice him because I was so focused on Amelia. But then like when you look at him, you're like, oh, that is a little weird. I felt strangely bad about that for some reason. Like, <laughs> I was, oh man, I mean, I said straw hat instead of fedora. Oh. I don't know. I always feel dumb when I get something wrong. And I'm like, even if it's a small little thing that literally no one else cares about, I'm like, I mean, I don't care about getting something wrong. Like if I'm just talking and everyone knows I'm just bullshitting. But if I'm doing something where I'm like, I know all about this. And then I say the wrong thing. I'm like, oh, that was... Man, I should have should have known better. I don't know. Yeah, in our call from space episode, I was talking about when the big ear was decommissioned and how they had sold the land around it and they tore it down to expand the golf course. Mm. I was saying like 1997, 1997, and then I said in 1988 they <laughs> built the golf course, which is wrong. It should have been 1998, but I right. I mean, that's just misspeaking too. Sometimes you just misspeak. Then I was like, ah, do I fix it? Actually, I don't remember if I fixed it or not. I think I didn't, but I thought about it, but I don't think I did. So, yeah, well, we make mistakes. Yeah. We're human. It happens. We say the wrong thing. We say stupid things. We say insensitive things, and we just try to do better. It's all we can do. Yep. I probably say more insensitive things than you do, I imagine. But... <laughs> yeah, but sometimes I say something, and I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Oh, well, whoops. Oh, I sounds like that something badly. Nick would say. Oh, my God. What a, I did not word me. that to the best of my ability, but monster. that's okay. No. So. Yeah, we only got three more episodes to go. Of In Search Of. Or In Search Of. Yeah. Yeah, for season one. <laughs> season one of insertion and there's five more <laughs> six episodes. there's so much and then do. and then we get some skinner action because in the reboot it's by mitch Blee. so <gasps> right 2008 yeah. I believe, yeah. So, yeah we'll do that one i don't know if we're gonna do the other one the more recent one but we'll definitely do that one because our boy skinner i know i know i love skinner all right, let's wrap this up All on right. this X-Files day of weirdness. We recorded <laughs> very three episodes, barely back from a three and a half month hiatus. And here we are recording three episodes in one day like crazy people. But... I know. <laughs> That's okay. It's a labor of love. Aww. 
I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. This is where you can find our X-Files episodes and some of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes, which cover television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like them, tell a friend. We'd be happy to have more listeners, honestly. So. <laughs> yeah, we would. We would. It's fine. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we go in search of voodoo. Voodoo! Voodoo oh. is motherfucking witchcraft. Boom! There you go. Damn. There Got you it. go. There's your witchcraft. And together, we're going to try and find out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there. saw lock he just crawled out of bed he's like oh hey hey it's time for me to be annoying oh are you guys recording fuck i was asleep (laughs) yeah he was napping hard (laughs) all right episode production design and editing is by lazy end productions our music is dark science by david hillowitz and the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians and my cat says hi